It's been a month since Danny Jacobs started as OHSU's fifth president. Dr. Jacobs and former president Joe Robertson discussed the transition, the challenges facing academic health centers, leadership, and the importance of philanthropy. It's Tuesday, September 11th, and this is OHSU Week. I'm Patrick Holmes. I sat down with President Danny Jacobs and former President Joe Robertson. Dr. Jacobs, the last time you were on this podcast, you had been just been announced as OHSU's next president. What are your first impressions now that you're on the job? Well, it's been very positive. It's been a whirlwind tour of hitting the ground running. First week out in Astoria, second week in Bend and Klamath Falls. Uh, had a uh, nephew got married in New York, took three days off to do that over the weekend. And uh, it's very exciting. First impressions are um, wonderful people trying to do great things every day. Uh, it's uh, a spirit that I think is palpable. I've had an opportunity to visit a number of institutions, and many others have the same sort of um, enthusiasm among the members, the same sort of dedication. But I would say that OHSU is at the top. And as a matter of fact, there's a passion here that I think is uh, just wonderful. It helps to get the work of academia done. Have there been any surprises? <laughs> well, that was an interesting question. So, yes, people have asked me that question. I mean, I think board members. And it's a... It's always uh, or can be a challenging question to answer, but here is my honest to goodness answer. I would say if there have been surprises, it's that there have been so few surprises. So that means the quality of the information that I received, the conversations I had with uh, the search committee, Dr. Robertson and, other, and others have provided information you'd want a new president to learn. And so, like I said, if there is a surprise, it's that there have been precious few surprises. Yeah, things happen, of course. I'm talking about that kind of foundational work that's done to describe what the job of president might be. And I think that speaks uh, volumes about the quality of the institution. Well, Dr. Robertson, how has retirement been treating you? It's been also exciting. It's a new phase of life. It takes a little bit of adjusting to, but I am enjoying it very much. I uh, have the opportunity to sleep a little bit later than I have previously, and I am working my way into my continued passions of global health and uh, ophthalmology and re-immersing myself in those. Always enjoyed my role as a faculty member in academic medicine, and now I have the opportunity to, again, concentrate in that and completely enjoy it. And uh, so it's it's wonderful. What has it been like to watch someone doing the job that you've been doing for so many years? It's been great. Uh, it is really exciting, and I think the best part is yet to come. Uh, um, a month is not a great deal of time to change a $3 billion organization, but I think one of the wonderful things about change in leadership is it is an opportunity to bring new ideas and new perspectives. Uh, Dr. Jacobs has a wealth of experience and experience that is different and complementary to mine, and I think it will be quite exciting to see how that experience is brought to bear here at OHSU. You're both part of a small leadership community, those who know firsthand how, it, how hard it is to lead an academic health center. Has being members of that select group uh, been a bonding experience for the two of you as you've gotten to know each other? 
I would say that our relationship has been positive from the very beginning. So although I have spent some time talking to Joe, we spent some quality time together, I wouldn't say that I know him well. However, in terms of the, the opportunity, uh, the quality of his person, the straight, open, honest, direct uh, style of communication that's uh, very much uh, important to me, Joe has had that from the beginning. And so if there is a bond, it's that I'm glad he's still around and I can reach out to him and ask his opinion about things relevant to the uh, university and its missions. And so, yes, there is a bond. There's a bond by virtue of, you know, the initial impressions, very positive. And I've talked about how I, uh, how that was a major attraction for me coming to uh, Oregon Health and Science University. But even beyond that, the idea that it continues and we can share those experiences, I think that's just going to strengthen the bond. I would echo what Dr. Jacobs just said. There's first and foremost a great mutuality of uh, respect with uh, each other. I also think that we have just sort of intuitively and innately liked each other since we met. So that gives you, if you respect and like each other, that gives you a whole lot to work on. Uh, and the, uh, the other thing I would add is that when, once you've been in this job, you understand in a way that no one else really understands how you are totally immersed in it, how you think about it, 24 hours a day. And I know Dr. Jacobs likes to ride a bike, and I would bet you anything that now when he is riding that bike, he is thinking about the issues that are facing OHSU. Absolutely. Are there things that you, the two of you have learned from each other about leadership? Well, I'll go first again. I mean, I think uh, Dr. Robertson's made some great comments, and you know, as I was in various stages of the interview process, you know, I was listening. Um, and one thing that he said was affirmational, and I think it was something like this. He says, really, at positions, senior leadership positions like ours, it's about the people. It's about managing the relationships. So I would call that affirmational, but when I heard that, it's very much my own belief about how one is successful in academic medicine. You have to manage the relationships. You have to manage the people. Yeah, there's technical mastery, uh, technical uh, competency, you know, content mastery, all those things that are expected as being part of the job. But if you have all those things and you don't have the ability to manage the relationships, uh, you're still going to fail. And so it was um, comforting to hear that when I, when I heard Joe talk about that. Working in science means sometimes seeking answers that end up being dead ends. How does this translate to how you approach leadership? I think it's very analogous. I, I probably would put it a little more, bit more succinctly than that, is that if you're not fa intermittently failing, you're not pushing the edge of the envelope enough. I think that's true in science, and I think that's true in academic administration, and I, I think that is one of the things that in, institutions can fall prey to, is they can be too afraid to fail. And if you, if you become too afraid to fail, you want to be careful. You don't want to make a critical failure. But to fail in small ways means that you are trying to push that edge of the envelope and do what academic medicine is meant to do, and that is to be innovative and creative. So in that way, I think it's very analogous. I would agree. Um, you know, my framing of that is exactly as Dr. Robertson has said, and then I think it's incumbent upon leadership to try to avoid critical failures at all costs, to state the obvious, uh, but accept that there are failures, and then when failures do occur, hopefully rarely, uh, I think as leadership we promise to fail quickly, which means that the danger is having, you know, 
opened a new avenue that's unsuccessful to keep holding on when it's obvious that that is uh, something that should be cast aside and should look for the next opportunity to be innovative. So I think that's the other piece that I would add in. And then this other comment I would make is uh, in terms of the reference to science and seeking answers. In academia and academic uh, health centers and universities like ours, I think we shouldn't be afraid to ask why. Uh, and I think asking why is compelling in and of itself. In other words, sometimes you need a reason to ask why, or there's a reason why one is asking why. But other times you're just asking why. That's the nature of inquiry, and that's how new ideas come forward. That's how innovations occur. What if and why? And so to me, if that's the reference to science, as opposed to what happens at a bench or in a dry laboratory. Uh, it is asking why that is a theme that connects an academic health center. As you look to the future, from your perspective, what are some of the biggest challenges facing academic health centers today? I think there's a constancy to the, the challenges that academic health centers face. The academic health centers are really a place for innovative ideas. I, I always come back to that. And the biggest challenge facing an academic health center, whether it was two decades ago or two days ago, is access to capital to act on the ideas of the faculty. That is the critical constraint. There are, there are always far more good ideas than there, than there is capital to fund those ideas. And I think that's, that's since my first days in academic medicine until this, I, I just see that incredible reserve of wonderful ideas, and I always see us thwarted into our ability to go down as far down the list as we want. Dr. Robertson has commented about these challenges and uh, regularly, as you know, and which is why I was uh, wanted very much to defer to him because obviously he has more years as a president. I've been involved in academia, but I think uh, having him speak uh, that wisdom, I think, was critically important. And I, I agree. The only thing I would add to that is, um, um, you know, underlying all the great ideas are the people, right? People are the source of those ideas that need uh, uh, capital. And so simultaneously we're trying to prioritize and, and meet as many of those wonderful, uh, you know, uh, find resources for as many of, of those wonderful ideas as possible is the need to take care of the people that are generating the ideas themselves. So the underpinning for everything we do, uh, I think, is about people. I'm curious if either of you, you're talking to Dr. Robertson, he talked about, um, you know, kind of going down the list and where you kind of draw the line of what you can fund. I'm curious if either of you kind of have thoughts on on how to, um, you know, kind of innovative ways to be able to go further down the list and to be able to to free up more capital to do to fund more great ideas. Well, there's the million-dollar question. Um, I, I think some of the answers are straightforward. Uh, there's always talk about asking a question. Is uh, A question to ask is how can we do it more efficiently, more effective, at lower cost to have more dollars available to invest in things that are further down the list. Uh, but I think the other piece of that uh, in terms of opportunity, it really is around mobilizing the ideas that we have in a manner that can benefit the institution and its people. I'm talking about business development and research. I'm talking about technology transfer. I'm talking about taking new ideas and making them uh, available to serve the public, but also, in some cases, as you know, there's a commercial uh, offset. 
the third opportunity, which is what the institution has been doing for years, is around philanthropy and development. And so I think philanthropy will become increasingly important in academic health centers. So that means uh, institutions like ours have to continue to focus on telling the great stories and then identifying donors that might invest in that story. And that'll help push down the list. So the summary is we can do some of it ourselves, but I think as much as we can uh, partner with uh, potential donors or folks in the private sector, those all those things need to happen simultaneously. I would just uh, chime in to underscore what Dr. Jacobs said and remind people that it was this very issue that was raised that led to the original creation of, of Vision 2020. And the, the, there were many reasons, and one of them, of course, was our public charge and our uh, but another reason that we engaged upon a strategy that involved partnerships was that that is way, a way to great, access greater amounts of capital and use your capital more eff- effectively. So, Dr. Jacobs, what gets you most excited about coming to work every day? Well, you know, I just like working. So <laughs> the idea to, you know, wake up, get up, and then be able to go to work, I think uh, may sound like I'm just making uh, making things up, but I think it's a blessing. I like work. I like working. And I like working when it feels like I can answer the question towards what end, for what purpose. And so every day I feel like towards what end, helping the university, for what purpose, the Oregonians and the folks we serve. And that actually is very powerful motivator for me. So I, it really is that. I enjoy working with the folks, but uh, it's uh, it's being uh, able to serve, uh, believe it or not, and understand what it is we are trying to accomplish. That's a huge motivator for me. How about you, Dr. Robertson? I imagine you probably could have just said, I'm done, hang up your hat, <laughs> but you keep on coming back. No, I, I did because I'm wedded to wanting to do something much like Danny uh, is, I think that's just the way we're made. We're just wired that way. And the other thing is I would so miss my colleagues. I would miss hearing the ideas. I would miss the opportunity that I have to learn from them. We, one of the wonderful things about OHSU is we're an environment where we are surrounded by incredibly intelligent, committed uh, principled people in in a way. There are great places to work, but the, the sheer magnitude and numbers of those types of individuals that we are surrounded by is almost unparalleled, and that it's just a joy to step into that environment every day. You both spent time traveling around Oregon within the first few days of your presidency. I know um, that was a little more recent for you, Dr. Jacobs, but uh, what does it mean to you to, to serve all of Oregon? Well, I mean, I think it's a great responsibility of the job, and it's a wonderful cause. And so it was an attraction to me because um, the opportunity to serve a state and then a region, a nation, a world, global health, for example, is not just around the block, it's around the state, region, nation, world. So this concept of global health, I think, is one that's important for academic institutions, but it starts with where you are. And so to me, as I've said in previous uh, interviews, it's more than just a slogan here. Uh, it is something that is apparent in everything that was described to me about the role of the of the president, but also in terms of the documents, the plans, everything keys around um, 
what we do being through the lens of what's in the best interest of Oregonians. So, so that uh, is a great responsibility, but it's a great attraction. And uh, the people are committed, that I've met, are committed to answering that challenge and answering that call. So it's exciting, exciting to be part of it. The last thing I would want to do would be to uh, take a step backwards in any way towards this mission that Dr. Robertson and others have articulated, which is service to Oregonians. You had mentioned that you had had a chance to travel yeah. a little bit around the state. Could you talk about that, where you went, and, and what that was like to kind of travel around Oregon? Well, I mean, it was uh, it was wonderful. Um, and, you know, I consider myself a brutal realist, right? So I, I've heard all kinds of things, and people have talked about the, the impact that the university has throughout the state. It was a chance to see that up close and personal. I talked about, you know, sort of the sense of community being palpable here. Well, it's it's true, even in Astoria and even down in Klamath Falls. I mean, people are excited about what the university is doing. I had a chance in Astoria to spend some time with Betsy Johnson, Senator Betsy Johnson. That was wonderful because she is uh, passionate, dedicated, but she also holds the university, the academic health center, accountable for certain things, and that's. Uh, that's attractive to me. I mean, so having those kinds of folks that are invested in the institution, but who also, in a direct, non-confrontational and non-threatening manner, talk about what needs to improve is what I think we need to hear. So that was great. It's beautiful up there, by the way. <laughs> and then driving is a long ride, so I got to get used to you know four and a half, five hours uh, in the in the car in the uh, Ford Explorer. But um, uh, it's beautiful country great people. And then you hear again about the wonderful programs the university has in all corners of the state. And you can see it. It's there. It's real. Um, those things are more than just, you know, strategic plans that are written on a whiteboard. There is tactics, implementation behind strategy. So it was great to see that. Dr. Robertson, I, um, I hear, I, uh, I started at OHSU shortly after you became president, but I understand that you spent your first day uh, as president of OHSU traveling around. Where did you go, and and what was that like? We went to uh, John Day, Oregon, which uh, the population of John Day, at least at that time, was 1,800 people. The population of the town that I grew up in, in rural, or in rural Indiana, was 1,800 people. So I felt very much at home when I went into the cafe on Main Street in John Day. Very, very fond memories. Uh, I would add only one comment about serving all of Oregon to the aspirational comments that Dr. Jacobs reviewed, and that is I would remind our listeners that OHSU was created by the elected representatives of this state to serve the members, the citizens of this state. So we are doing this first and foremost because it is the right thing to do and we feel that obligation and that's who we are, but it is also why we were created. And maybe you could talk about uh, a, a little bit, Is are we in a unique position here being an academic health center in Oregon? I know that you've served on various boards and, and I, the state kind of has a history um, around health reform and, and whatnot. I was curious your thoughts on kind of our unique role as a state in, in kind of facing the rest of the country. So I think we indeed are, and we are one of the few states, and I think it's somewhere around five, that both have an academic health center, and, but only have one. 
And that's just a phenomenal opportunity because it truly gives you that opportunity for the statewide presence. And that is if anyone anywhere in the state wants to engage an academic health center and use the resources and the intellectual horsepower that's here, that means they're going to engage OHSU. So it is both a special opportunity, but then also creates that special uh, responsibility. Has that been different for you, Dr. Jacobs? I know you've spent time in, in states that where there wasn't just one academic health center. Yes, this is uh, the first time in my career where I've been in a state where there's one academic health center, and I think I would agree with what Dr. Robertson just said. There is a certain strength, if you will, if, if we can avail ourselves of all the intellectual capital and the other expertise that a university has to actually impact uh, the health and well-being of Oregonians in a different way. Uh, you know, I think every academic health center has similar um, aspirational objectives, um, but in terms of the connectedness that's required to actually implement those things and make that happen in real time, it's different here. So it, the connectivity with the stakeholders, whoever they are, those folks that are interested from legislators to community leaders to donors to private equity firms, I mean, you name it, we can tell a story here about connectedness, connectedness, which is the opportunity to accelerate uh, changes that uh, are important to us as an institution, be that patient care, research, education, or even administration in terms of how things get done. So it's, it's uh, very few opportunities like this in the country. You mentioned donors and philanthropy. Could you talk about the role of philanthropy in advancing health? Well, uh, yeah, we, we talked a bit about that early in the conversation. I think uh, Dr. Robertson uh, has uh, more experience because few, if any, presidents have led something like the Knight campaign to such, uh, you know, amazing success in, what, a couple years. So <laughs> I'm going to defer to him and say, <laughs> please tell me more about how to make philanthropy all that it could be. But I, I will say that if as I've tried to study and, you know, and said, well, what were the lessons learned about this successful campaign, extraordinarily successful campaign, so that we can replicate those at the appropriate time? It really is two things, and I'd be interested in uh, Dr. Robertson's opinion, but I think step one is telling the great stories about uh, the things that are happening at uh, OHSU every day. And that sometimes means that uh, we, uh, senior leaders will have to speak on behalf for faculty members because some don't want to tell those great stories. Maybe some are, and I appreciate this as a quality, some are, you know, uh, humble. Uh, but my job is if you don't want to tell the great story, then please let me tell the great story because I think that's how you get information out there that might be of interest to a potential donor. I was always taught and trained that the donor decides, which is appropriate, right? The donor actually is making the investment, so they, I think they get to target what they would like, uh, where they'd like their dollars to flow. However, unless we're telling them about the great things that are happening here, and that's part of the process of getting to know a donor, then they may, there may be something here that is very of great interest to them, but if, unless we tell them, then they're not going to know about it, and we're not going to have an opportunity for them to invest in the program. So I think that's, that's, uh, that's one. I think the other thing, asking those questions, is uh, you know, the donor decides, but are there uh, things that we are doing here for the donor that may not yet have in his or her mind exactly how they'd like to have their dollars used. Uh, 
So that means we have the ability in the process of telling the great stories to influence the donor's decision making uh, in a positive way uh, in terms of, well, here's an opportunity. Then I think the third element that I think has been wildly successful here is the idea of accountability. So donors are making huge investments in the institution. And the best campaigns, the best efforts are about not just places and things I've said, but also about people, places, and things. And that seems to have resonated with the campaign that Dr. Robertson and other, others led. So that means if we're investing in the people, we're holding ourselves accountable to the donor's wishes, and we're illustrating how the dollars uh, go far beyond the huge amount they might make. I mean, it, it has life beyond you know, a certain finite period of time if you subtract dollars invested and dollars used per unit year or something like that. So it moves away from the quantitative piece, don't get me wrong, I think that piece is equally important to say are there things that we can do that are timeless uh, that will extend beyond, you know, a short-term horizon for an academic health center. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think that was a superb, superb uh, summary. I think it's about, as, as he really just stated, it's, it's about connecting to the donor's passions. And there's the intellectual part of all the data that you want, want to present, but there's always the, the part about connecting to the donor's uh, passion. And the wonderful thing about an academic health center is that we have a very broad menu. We have a wonderful panoply of options for people to uh, consider. So I always say, if I talk to you long enough, I think I can find, <laughs> find something that, that relates to your uh, to your passion, and it is, I agree with Dr. Jacobs that it is more, more important than ever because it is philanthropy that drives excellence. It is that extra funding that allows you to, again, push the edges of the envelope, to push the, the, the frontier. The great news is because of what's happened over the past decades, OHSU is better positioned to tell those stories now than it ever has been. Donors are, they may be excited about you're having a vision. What they're really excited about is that you had a vision, you've produced something, it is very good as it is, and it has a chance to be even greater. And that's what it is. When you already have a terrific program and you have the opportunity to push that program to among the best in the world and do things that no one else is doing, then the donors get very, very excited. Dr. Robertson, what advice do you have for Dr. Jacobs as he starts his tenure as OHSU's president? Well, I don't know if I have any advice. He is extremely well qualified and has great instincts. I think I would maybe rephrase that a little bit and and discuss what I've discussed with several other university presidents, and that is how has the job changed over the past 10 years? How is it different now than it was when I took the, this job? And in many, many aspects of it are the same. But I think the one aspect that has really changed is when I took this job, they say, you know, the leadership starts at the top, the values start at the top. That's always been true, that's still true. But when I took this job, it was enough to live those values. In today's world, it is no longer enough just to live those values. You, I think, as a leader, have to speak about them in today's world much more than you did before. And I originally found that a little bit difficult to do because I'm sort of an introverted person and really didn't want to be talking about myself. But I found that in today's world, where because of events on 
our national stage. People are looking toward their institutions to demonstrate, you know, the moral principles, the type of leadership that they want. So I think it's incumbent upon the leaders to talk about that more today than ever before. Are you up for that challenge? Very much so. That's why I'm glad he's going to be close by, because I think, uh, you know, it is, um, I think advice I've received from Joe uh, in this area is is something I keep in mind, which is uh, speaking to those issues through the lens of what's good for the people of Oregon. And I think if that's how we lead, that resonates with my own, you know, values, a system of values, but I also think it speaks to the duty and obligation that the, the university has, the academic health centers has. And I think there's a way for us, for me, uh, to speak to those values framed, though, in terms of it's good for uh, folks in Oregon. I think that's the way to get at that issue. You know, it's always a little bit challenging because, like Joe, I, I also lean towards perhaps being a bit introverted. There are personal opinions that I have, but a part of a part of the responsibility of being president is actually to use those where appropriate, but sometimes set them aside and say, well, what's uh, good for Oregonians, even if it might uh, be something that's not on the top of my priority list. Let's just leave it that way. Uh, I don't think there are any things on my list that are not on the top of the list for folks in Oregonian, but uh, asking that question in the context of, uh, of the platform that's provided to the president, I think is important. Can you give us a preview? Are there um, what can we expect out of your presidency? Well, I, I, we talked a bit about that earlier. I mean, I saw uh, the uh, strategic planning process that Joe started. I uh, vision twenty twenty. It's time for a vision twenty twenty five. The bones are very very good. The foundation is there. People understand the importance of strategic planning and holding ourselves accountable. So um, in my next couple of months, we're going to be setting the table for engaging the whole university, the whole academic health center around uh, refining, revising the strategic plan as necessary. Dr. Robertson has said that every good strategic plan is a living, breathing document, so it's not something you put on the shelf. And I think it's evident from the great work that's been done here already. So if we can ask ourselves then what's next and what needs to be modified, I think that would be great. Uh, in previous, uh, you know, sessions like these, I've talked about, you know, the three framing questions. I think I mentioned it during my uh, final visit to the campus, you know, three questions to be asked as part of every strategic planning process. What's great? What's good? What could be better? All of that implies, and we'll work through it, and assumes that we have rigorously defined reality. Where are we right now? And look in the mirror and say, this is where we are. And I think uh, the institution is open to that. It's been part of the culture here. So I, I think you'll see that in the next several months, uh, and then we'll roll it out after having, uh, after giving everyone the opportunity to, uh, you know, test our assumptions and challenge our assumptions and modify the plan. Hopefully, uh, you know, by somewhere between January and March of next year, uh, you know, we will start to roll that out with a couple of key pieces. It'll be, well, what do we want to be in the near term? 
2023, 2025, how will we define ourselves? How will we describe ourselves? And then what are our priorities? You're really comment about it's probably going to be 100 great things that we would like to do, but we can only do 50. You know, which 50 are those and why? And then we will talk about what resources we need to make those things happen. And then we will talk about how we're going to assess uh, our progress to the earlier conversation as well. You know, how will, how will we know if something is not going according to plan? Failure. <laughs> and then uh, how can we be sure that, you know, uh, we are tracking our performance so that we can say, well, that's not working. We either need to modify it or do something different. That, you know, sounds pretty mundane maybe to the audience, you know, kind of like blocking and tackling thing, but that's where the magic happens. Uh, it's about the implementation side. And if we do it right and, and, and engage the community, community as, as we will do, as has been done, then that would be exciting. Exciting to me, I think it's going to be exciting to the members of the institution because they will have a renewed sense of being part of something that's larger than themselves, which is why I think academic uh, academic health centers and academic medicine is um, such a wonderful place to be. Those questions get asked in other places, but if you're about patient care, research, education, and making things work, uh, I think uh, it'll be very exciting. Next, uh, it'll be a whirlwind tour. I call it a sprint marathon, but I think it's going to be very exciting. Are there any questions that I should have asked that I haven't asked? We're glad to be here. Uh, there are questions there, how are we enjoying Oregon? Nancy and I are loving Oregon, so there you go. Oh, great. <laughs> and I'm having the chance to see more of Oregon. good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you both for your time. All right, thank you very much. OHSU Week is a production of Strategic Communications. This episode was produced by me and edited by Josh Anderson. I'm Patrick Holmes. See you next week.